Welcome to the Deputy Mayor for Planning and Economic Development Roundtable. I'm Acting Deputy Mayor John Falciccio. Uh, today we're discussing a topic that's on the top of mind for many district businesses, uh, and that's the Payroll Protection Program, uh, also known as PPP. Uh, as you know, the initial round of PPP funding authorized in March uh, is being extended by federal legislation. Uh, and with me today we have a number of guests uh, and a special guest speaker uh, to talk about the PPP program. PPP program. Uh, we're recording this on Friday, April 24th, uh, and the legislation is headed to President Trump's desk for signature, uh, and we expect the uh, program will open up soon. So I want to tell you a little bit about who's with us this morning. Uh, we have Dan Martini, who's the Vice President of Congressional uh, Relations and Public Affairs of the American Bankers Association. Uh, he'll give us an update and an overview of what we can expect uh, on PPP in the second round. Uh, and on the uh, funding that uh, the Congress just authorized. Uh, and then Director Christy Whitfield uh, with the Director of uh, the Department of Small Local Business Development, uh, Ward 5 Council Member and Chair Pro Tem of the Council, Kenny McDuffie, uh, and Corey Griffin, the Chairman of the uh, Greater Washington uh, Black Chamber of Commerce. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for joining us today, and I will turn it to Dan, uh, who will present uh, on the PPP program. Great, thank you so much, John, uh, and thank you to the to you and the and the mayor's office for uh, the opportunity to participate in this roundtable today. Uh, thank you to the uh, other esteemed panelists as well uh, for letting me share your time. Um, what I'm going to do is go through an overview of the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, basically functionally how it works uh, from sort of a borrower perspective. Um, and then we can uh, certainly have question and answer later. Uh, I know there's some specific questions that uh, we need to address. Uh, so these slides uh, that you'll be seeing, I'll, I'll be asking to, to move through as we go. But basically, the SBA's Paycheck Protection Program, uh, after today's uh, Friday the 24th signing, will uh, increase the funds up to $670 billion. Um, for 100% guaranteed loans uh, that, will, that can cover payroll costs, interest on mortgage payments, rent obligations, and utilities. The program runs through June 30th of 2020, uh, though we anticipate the funding to, to be exhausted much quicker than, than that uh, April 24th. Uh, as you know, the first wave of funds uh, was signed into law on March 27th. Uh, program opened April 3rd, and then the first wave ended on April 15th. Uh, second wave has $320 billion, uh, which was approved yesterday uh, by Congress, and it's expected to be signed uh, today by the president into law. Uh, this program, broadly speaking, and I know there are several technical uh, differences or, or, or exceptions here, but broadly speaking, the program applies to businesses with fewer than 500 employees, businesses that meet certain SBA size standards, uh, independent contractors, sole proprietorships, self-employed, and certain nonprofits such as 501c3s, uh, veteran-owned 501c19s, and certain tribal concerns. Uh, there's a vastly expanded uh, lender base in this program. Uh, traditionally, the SBA program only has about 1,800 lenders nationwide. This program has uh, approximately 5,000 and growing. And uh, in the D.C. region specifically, uh, statistics I saw from the Small Business Administration yesterday, PEG, the uh, number of participating lenders in this area at about, or excuse me, within the District of Columbia at about 300. And I would anticipate that grows. So if I can figure out here. So moving on to slide number two, 
um, some more of the, the fine, finer points of this program and how it works uh, for the loan size. It is the maximum of either 250% of your average monthly payroll cost or $10 million, whichever is smaller. Uh, regardless of which uh, financial institution you go to, all of your loan terms uh, in terms of duration are going to be the same. So it's a two-year loan with a fixed interest rate of 1%. And again, that is either 200, it's basically 250% of your monthly uh, average payroll costs if you're a business. If you are an independent contractor or sole proprietorship, it is uh, a little bit different, which I will get into later uh, in my presentation. Um, in addition to these loan terms, uh, you as a borrower are allowed up to six months of deferment on loan payments. So that means that uh, you won't have to start making loan payments until month seven, and then the payments will be month seven through month 24. Uh, as part of this, the first eight weeks of the loan, uh, so it's, the clock starts the day you get the loan and, and those first eight weeks, uh, you can spend money on, on certain covered expenses, which I'll get into, and that amount will be forgiven uh, by by SBA, uh, and the borrower won't have to pay that money back. It will just be treated as indebtedness. Um, there is a breakdown in that uh, area of uh, 75% needing to be spent on payroll costs and 25% needing to be spent on other things such as mortgage interest, rent, utilities, um, and debt obligations. So just keep that in mind that this is the Paycheck Protection Program. So it is uh, designed to uh, protect paychecks and keep people on uh, salary and keep people employed. Um, so next slide. Uh, this is a, a this is a portion of the presentation where I slide into sort of what you need to do as a borrower for those that maybe have not already applied for a PPP loan. So what documents do you need to provide a lender? So you must submit documentation to establish your eligibility. So things that could be included in that, and again, uh, I'm going to say up front, make sure you check with your specific lender about what forms they need. But as you're getting ready to apply for a loan, these are good things to have ready to go. Um, the lender may require more paperwork, may require less, but this is generally speaking what we have seen uh, needed in previous applications that we've heard from our membership. So uh, what documentation do you need? Uh, payroll processor records, if available, uh, payroll tax filings, uh, form 1099 if you're an independent contractor or uh, if you're a sole proprietor, uh, you would need your 2019 Schedule C form. Um, business owners who do not have such documentation may, uh, may need to provide other documentation such as bank records, uh, basically establishing uh, the payroll cost amount uh, for your average monthly payroll for the past year, so for 2019. Um, the reason being that is the going to be that times two and a half is the size of your loan. Uh, in addition to that uh, information, you also need to submit SBA Form 2483, which is the Paycheck Protection Program Application Form. Uh, that form is located on SBA's website, so sba.gov. Uh, if you navigate to the Paycheck Protection Program section of that website, uh, all of these forms will be available for you there. Uh, but for you as a borrower, Form 2483 is probably the most important, is that is your basically cover application, and then you have all your supporting documentation uh, behind it. So slide four, uh, what is the loan size calculation? So this is kind of a breakdown of step-by-step -step of what you would need to do, broadly speaking, uh, to calculate how big your, your loan likely will be. 
Again, I would encourage you to work with your lender uh, or if you have somebody uh, on staff or if you have an accountant uh, that you work with, uh, they are also likely able to provide you help in doing these calculations. So step one, aggregate payroll costs from the last 12, last 12 months for employees whose principal place of residence is in the United States. Subtract any compensation paid to an employee in excess of his annual salary of 100000 and or amounts paid to an independent contractor or sole proprietor in excess of 100000 per year. So basically, if you were to have a, a, an employee that was making, say, $120,000 a year, you would just lower that salary to $100,000 for purposes of this uh, calculation. Uh, next, you calculate the average monthly payroll cost, so dividing step two by 12 months. Uh, you want to then multiply the average monthly payroll cost from step three by two and a half, which is the payroll multiplier in the TPP loan program. And then step five, uh, if any of you have received an economic injury disaster loan or idle made between January 31st 2020 and April 3rd, 2020, you want to um, add that outstanding amount in because you would refinance the idle loan into the PPP loan and then subtract any sort of advance that uh, you would have received under idle. So the idle program uh, was for a time uh, providing $10,000 uh, cash advances up front when you applied. Um, that program has since run out of money, though I'm, I'm going to talk about it later, uh, about what, where it stands now. But uh, just know that if you received an idle loan uh, between January 31st and the start of the PPP loan program, uh, you're going to need to refinance that into the PPP loan. So next slide, slide five. How do you determine payroll costs? So payroll costs broadly, and again, uh, this is just sort of the broad parameters, uh, work with your, with, with your lender, um, are payroll costs broadly are compensation to employees with principal residence in the U.S., that means salary, wages, commissions, or similar compensation, cash tips are the equivalent based on employee or records of past tips, or in the absence of such records, a reasonable good faith employer estimate of such tips. Uh, additionally, payroll costs include payment for vacation, parental, family, medical, or sick leave, uh, separation uh, costs, and then payment for the provision of employee benefits consisting of group health care coverage, including insurance premiums and retirement. Uh, as well as payment of state and local taxes assessed on the compensation of employees. So a lot of different criteria there uh, that go into that bucket of payroll costs. Uh, next slide, slide six. Um, for an independent contractor or sole proprietor, uh, it's a little bit different because you are by yourself. Uh, so you would want to have uh, your 1099 as an independent contractor. Uh, that would be sort of the determination of your payroll costs. For a sole proprietor, uh, you would want to use uh, Schedule C, uh, which you need your 2019 Schedule C. If you don't have that yet, I would encourage you to get it. Um, doesn't mean you have to file your taxes, but you need at least some sort of documentation uh, to apply for this loan. Um, additionally, uh, we have a payroll cost look-back period uh, that you will need to use. If you own a seasonal business, you can use the average monthly payroll for the period between February 15th or March 1st of 2019 and then to June 30th, 2019. So it's the same look back period from which this current program is running. Um, if you weren't in business last year uh, or even uh, enough to get to 12 months, what you can do is look at the average monthly payroll cost for January 1st uh, through February 29th of this year. Um, 
again, that is something to keep in mind. Slide seven, um, to calculate your number of employees. Now, this is important because the uh, forgiveness portion of your loan is going to be determined by, in part by your ability to rehire employees. Uh, broadly speaking, if you have, um, say, 10 employees prior to it, during your average look-back period of last year, and then at February 15th, which is the start of the window this year, you only have uh, eight employees, you would need to bring uh, your staff back up to 10 employees by June 30th in order to qualify in part for loan forgiveness. So this employee calculation basically is there for uh, determining how many people you need to have on staff uh, by the end of this period here at June 30th. Uh, so generally speaking, business owners may use the average employment over the same time period uh, from last year to determine the number of employees. Uh, or you can use SBA's uh, usual calculation, which is uh, average number of employees per pay period in the 12 completed calendar months prior to the application date. However, remember, again, if you haven't been in business for 12 months, the average number of employees for each pay period is uh, the bit during which the business has been operational. That is uh, the calculation you should use. Uh, so moving to slide eight, uh, what expenses can you spend? Or, or what are covered expenses in a PPP loan? So basically this gets to you have applied for the loan, you've done the payroll calculation, you've received your money from your lender. What can you spend the money on? So uh, payroll costs, um, costs related to the continuation of group uh, health care benefits during the period of uh, paid sick medical family or insurance premium. Uh, that is the largest bucket, those two costs right there. You need to spend 75% of the first eight weeks on those buckets, uh, those first two, so payroll costs and costs related to health care, paid sick, family leave, et cetera, if you are hoping to get the full possible loan forgiveness amount uh, when you apply for that. Uh, 20, the remaining 25% of your uh, spending should be or can be on mortgage interest payments, rent payments, utility payments, or interest payments on any other debt obligations that were incurred before February 15th of 2020. So again, this is the Paycheck Protection Program uh, that SBA is administering, uh, that the Congress has, has created, and uh, their intent was to spend money on the employee. So 75% uh, of the money spent, at least in that first eight weeks, needs to be on payroll costs, and other employee-related costs, uh, not on rent or utility or things like that. So moving to slide nine, I uh, wanted to touch on the difference between an economic injury disaster loan and the Paycheck Protection Program loan, or PPP loan. Uh, the reason being is there are a couple different federally sponsored options here that you as a borrower can take advantage of. So. Uh, PPP loan, as a reminder, it is uh, two and a half times your monthly average monthly payroll cost. That's the size of the loan. Uh, it's a two-year term at a fixed 1% interest rate. 75% of it has to be used on payroll costs, and the remaining 25% can be used on mortgage, interest, uh, rent, utilities, and other debt obligations, interest on other debt obligations. So it's kind of a finite bucket of uh, expenses you can use uh, that money for. 
for an economic injury disaster loan. That is uh, done directly through the SBA. Uh, they generally have a 30 fixed year term of an interest rate of 3.75% and you can get up to $2 million. Uh, additionally, as part of this program, businesses that apply for an idle can receive up to a $10,000 cash advance within three days of applying. Uh, as you can imagine, the demand for uh, idle uh, loans outstripped the actual ability of SBA to process uh, these loans. So as a result, we saw uh, previously uh, loan advances much smaller, say about $1,000, and then the maximum loan size is uh, not anywhere near $2 million. Uh, so just keep that in mind if you're going to apply for an idle, it's ultimately up to the SBA to determine the size of your loan and how much of a cash advance you would receive. Uh, but again, an idle loan can be used for things beyond just those five buckets of a PPP loan. Uh, if you wanted to make capital expenditures, buy new equipment, uh, you can do that under idle, but you would not be able to do that under uh, PPP. So for idle, if that's something you're interested in, you apply directly through the SBA. Uh, they have an application on their website at sba.gov slash disaster. That's sba.gov slash disaster. Okay, moving on to slide 10. So related back to the PPP program, you want to find uh, how you, you want to find an available lender, right? If you haven't already applied. So uh, there's a couple different options now uh, that have since been updated even since I finished these slides yesterday. Uh, so SBA has a find an eligible lender tool on their website, which uh, takes you to a map. You enter in your zip code or a surrounding zip code here in D.C., and it'll plug in all of the lenders that are participating in the program uh, in, in this area. Additionally, they also just released, SBA also just released data last night uh, that is now on their website as well of lenders by state. So it's a, a giant 563-page document, but if you go to page 86, you'll see all of the lenders that are currently participating in Washington, D.C. Uh, it doesn't have contact information on there, but it does have uh, the over 300 lenders that are participating in Washington. So you might be able to see if your bank is on there or if uh, another good one that you've heard of is there as well, and you can reach out and contact them. Um, now, there's been a lot of confusion around whether you have to go to your own existing lender or to uh, somebody else. Uh, initially, I believe uh, the program was uh, referred, let me say it this way, there's no, nothing in the law that says you have to go to your own lender. However, because of uh, some of the regulatory requirements around knowing your customer, providing certain document information to a lender for speed purposes, an existing relationship actually works faster uh, by about one to two days. And that's just strictly from a processing uh, uh, standpoint because you, uh, a lender needs to make sure you are who you say you are and that uh, you are, uh, in fact, uh, the business you claim to be. Um, so that just adds time to a loan. And I think that's where the, some of the confusion came in initially, uh, where uh, you had the Secretary of the Treasury saying, go to your existing lender. Uh, to be clear, you do not have to apply through your own lender, especially if your own lender is not taking applications. Uh, just know that it may add a bit of time to your application if you go to a, uh, a new financial institution or new bank, credit union, what have you, 
that uh, you are not a current customer. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Uh, and then finally on slide 11 here, um, I don't know if these slides will be available uh, for download. So just in case they are not, um, the links that I have listed here are uh, sent, will send you to all of the forms, all of the guidance you would need as a borrower to fill out an application, to apply to a lender, and to, to work through the loan process. So Treasury, if you go to treasury.gov, um, there's a link in red right up top that sends you directly to their Assistance for Small Businesses page. It's got all of the relevant forms you would need as a borrower to apply for a loan. If you can't find them there, you can go to sba.gov and go to their Paycheck Protection Program site. That will also have all of the forms there. And then finally, if you're interested in uh, receiving or applying for an economic injury disaster loan, which is again run directly through SBA, you would want to go to sba.gov slash disaster. Uh, that is the site where SBA is administering that specific loan program. If you want a PPP loan, you would go through a uh, bank, a credit union, or another authorized financial institution. Um, and again, just very quick disclaimer, uh, presentation was provided as a helpful guide to assist small businesses interested in participating in the program. Always rely on the latest government guidance in determining whether you're actually available. And uh, I would also encourage you to work with your lender uh, on making sure that you are eligible before you apply uh, there aren't any criminal penalties per se, but a lot of the uh, certifications you have to do to uh, receive one of these loans or to apply for one of these loans, uh, the onus is placed on the borrower. So I would encourage you to consult guidance uh, and also to speak with uh, your lender, uh, your accountant if you have one, or possibly an attorney, uh, just to make sure that you as a business uh, can receive, or an independent contractor or a self-employed can receive a loan. So with that, I believe that's the end of my slides. Uh, yep, and so happy to turn it back over to John and the esteemed panel, and then uh, certainly am available to answer questions. Great, well thank you Dan for that, and uh, really we did wanna have this as a session so that business owners knew how to navigate uh, PPP. Uh, so this is a helpful way for them to view it and hopefully use some of the resources you highlighted in order to, to navigate the program and also the economic injury disaster loan uh, program as well. But I wanna turn it over to the panelists. So I'll go to uh, Christy first, just to get some of your reaction to this and, and kind of the guidance that you're giving to small business as well. Uh, thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, so, you know, at, at DSLBD, of course, we know that, that access to capital is essential for small businesses and, and that, you know, that in normal business circumstances, it usually doesn't traditionally make sense to layer debt onto a distressed business. You know, it's not a kind of good traditional sense, but we also know that these are anything but normal times. And so, you know, we really want to make sure, and at DSLBD, that we're trying to focus people's attention on the resources that are currently available at the SBA because the, the EDIL and the PPD are two of the most affordable types of resources that are currently available to the small business community. You know, we know that access to capital is one of the best options for our small business community right now. You know, the smallest businesses are having challenges getting money, you know, and in that uncertain time with 
shutdown orders and when we're not certain when we're going to be back to a new normal and candidly even what a new normal will look like when we come back into a new marketplace you know what that's going to look like we need patient capital and we need to be able to have the time to do that planning you know so DSLBD has been working with the SBA to make sure that we can get as many people in line for these business you know these opportunities as possible um, you know, it, it bears repeating, and I hope people know this, that Mayor Bowser, you know, was very proactive in getting Washington, D.C. first in line for the assistance at the SBA. And so we were the first city in the region to be in line for the EDIL help. Um, now, I, I know that businesses will be watching and they will be saying, you know, and we'll be talking about this, and this will be one of my questions for, uh, for our panelists. This money was oversubscribed the second that it was out there. And you know, a lot of our smaller businesses did not get a bite at this apple. Um, you know, and these these you know these issues are are real. Um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't still be working to make sure that you are getting in line for these these resources. You know, DSLBD and and our team is actually working in partnership and able to help people walk through some of the pieces of these of these uh, these applications. You know, they're they're not always easy. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing it. You know, um, I want to also make sure that people realize that in addition to the resources that we'll be putting out there, that you know there there have been a really long wait times to get some of the help, and that there are humans at the end of the phone lines at DSLBD at 727-3900, hit option seven, and you know if we're not answering, we will actually call you back and help you through some of the questions. Now we are not the experts, and that's really for the EDIL, um, but we can also help you find the resources to get you in contact and help you figure out, you know, who is the closest SBA lender, you know, that might be able to help you get a PPP. You know, if you don't have a relationship with a lender, who's the closest lender, you know, that might be able to help you get that PPP loan. Um, you know, we all read in the paper that these big, big businesses were getting those relations, getting these big loans, and those are these are real problems. If you're a, a, a small business that doesn't have a relationship with your lender, you know, advice we want to say is start building those relationships now. When these, you know, when these resources open back up, we need you to be having those those relationships and getting yourselves in line. Um, the final thing I'll say before we sort of go down the line is that we are hearing about offers and you know candidly scams like hey for five hundred dollars we can guarantee you get a PPP none of that is real mm -hmm. and so understand that if you see something that that for a price you can get a PPP loan that none of that is real so again you know DSLBD um, is here to help you make sure that we can help you get access to those resources. Right. You know, the CDFIs in our city are going to be having access to that, and we're trying to make sure that we're working with our local lenders to help the smaller businesses have access to these resources because we know the smaller businesses need these loans too, and, you know, and DSLBD is here to help. Great. Uh, Councilmember McDuffie, in addition to being the Ward 5 Councilmember and the Chair Pro Tem, you're also the chair of the council's uh, business and economic development committee. I'm sure that means you hear from more than a few business owners. What are you hearing and how are folks navigating these different programs? Sure, uh, first of all, uh, good morning. Uh, let me thank uh, the mayor and, and thank you, Deputy Mayor Falchicchio, uh, for convening uh, this very important uh, discussion uh, to Director Whitfield, Corey Griffin, for being here as well. Dan, that was a great presentation. A lot of helpful information 
Uh, and I have to say, as we sit here, I'm, I'm looking at how far apart we are, and, and you know, uh, it's, it's really a part of, of the new normal that we're experiencing uh, throughout this global pandemic. And, and as we all know at this table and understand very well, uh, this crisis is, is, is unprecedented. Um, the, the distancing measures that, that are in place are absolutely necessary. But what I'm hearing from small businesses is that the reality of, of where we are in this public health emergency uh, is really devastating to, to their businesses and to our local economy. Uh, it's made it extremely difficult for people to be able to provide for themselves and their families uh, during this pandemic. And uh, I was reading uh, recently uh, a report from the Brookings Institution where they mentioned one in four businesses uh, were likely closed before this recovery uh, is over. And, and for people who, who are a part of this, who are experiencing this, it's a very stark uh, reality. Uh, and as chair, as you mentioned, uh, Deputy Mayor, as I'm chair of the Council's Committee on Business and Economic Development, uh, I've been working really hard, my staff and I, my colleagues, uh, have been doing everything we can, working around the clock to support uh, small businesses here in the District of Columbia, and in particular, uh, looking at uh, some of the uh, situations experienced by minority-owned, women-owned small businesses as well. Uh, we've passed, uh, working with the mayor, working with you all, uh, what's now a, a series of emergency measures to protect uh, residents and small businesses uh, here in the District of Columbia. And I'll mention just a few of the measures that, that have been included that I think are important to, to our local small businesses. Uh, they've included a microgrant program. Uh, which you are administering with your team, $25 million that the mayor set aside. Uh, we deferred uh, sales taxes for a period of time for a hotel. Uh, we expanded unemployment. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we had a max of about $444 at uh, DOES. Uh, with the help of the CARES program, we've got an additional $600 that uh, those who avail themselves of unemployment district would be able to access. Uh, which, you know, I've already heard from a lot of residents uh, who said that is extraordinarily helpful. Uh, we've got some mortgage deferral provisions. Uh, we also uh, increased subcontracting requirements from 35% uh, with CBEs to 50% uh, throughout the course of this public health emergency. And also, uh, the mayor now has authority under the most recent measure to do advanced payments for contractors to, to help with cash flow. Um, and, and so we've done a number of things, uh, but despite uh, our best efforts locally, uh, the, the reality is that in order to, to, to really navigate throughout this pandemic and, and, and really look toward a, a strong recovery, uh, you know, the District of Columbia, not unlike other jurisdictions, are really going to have to rely on uh, the resources and investments uh, in the federal government, uh, not unlike the, the PPP program that uh, we're here to talk about today. Uh, and while uh, the District of Columbia, I think, has somewhere around 80,000 small businesses, we know uh, from the data that the SBA uh, produced that only about 3,253 loans from the first round of PPP uh, went to D.C. businesses. Uh, that's a lot of businesses that are out there uh, hurting uh, who have not gotten access to this much-needed uh, capital. So, you know, taking steps to, to include uh, our local community development financial institutions in a more robust way uh, as uh, the pandemic relief assistance programs become available 
I think would help to ensure that, that funds reach those who are most in need. Uh, our, our local CDFIs know many of our minority and women-owned businesses better than many of the large financial institutions uh, currently administering the program through the federal uh, government. And so uh, I think that is going to be important. I think there's some aspects uh, of the most recent bill that uh, the President will hopefully sign uh, today should, should uh, try to address that. Uh, I'm going to continue to work with you, Deputy Mayor, with uh, Director Woodfield and Black Chamber of Commerce uh, and others, uh, my colleagues at the Council, to make sure that we're getting as, as, as many resources locally uh, to uh, small businesses here in the District of Columbia and obviously trying to make sure that those small businesses understand uh, and avail themselves of these federal resources, which are incredibly important. Uh, but we also need to be mindful of uh, the disparities that existed uh, even before this pandemic started because uh, they haven't gone anywhere. And we have to be intentional uh, in the efforts that we put in place not to exacerbate them uh, as we navigate the recovery. So again, uh, thank you for this uh, discussion. Now, Councilmember, uh, and with uh, one of the many roles and functions you have as uh, the chair of the committee is you do oversight. Uh, so you are expert at asking questions. Why don't we break it up a little bit and jump in with sure. Dan, uh, see if there's any questions that you had for Dan about how folks can navigate the program. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know uh, one of the things that, that I've appreciated and I think residents have appreciated in District of Columbia over uh, the last several years is how far along we've gotten with our restaurant industry. Uh, very robust. Uh, hospitality, tourism, restaurant industry in the District of Columbia, um, and, and some small businesses like restaurants um, and other uh, gathering places anticipate that they will not be able to meet the June 30th rehired deadline uh, given the stay-at-home orders that, that everybody's experiencing and the staggered reopenings of our, our economy. And as, as Dan went through his presentation and mentioned that June 30th, uh, date that this makes the grant option for businesses like restaurants likely uh, unattainable. Uh, what are, uh, if any, recommendations might you have, Dan, uh, for these types of businesses who, who may not necessarily be in a position to, to take uh, on any additional new debt uh, and perhaps uh, are, are a little nervous about uh, whether they would be able to access a very important program like the Paycheck Protection Program? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And uh, as a DC resident myself uh, for the last 14 years, uh, I've loved and uh, really enjoyed seeing the, the restaurant scene and gathering places scene grow. Uh, I think it's been great for, for DC, just as a, a personal aside. Um, regarding what to do uh, around not wanting to take on additional debt, um, and the fact that they may not be able to use the PPP. Uh, as, as you said, uh, PPP, or, or, or as I mentioned earlier, PPP is designed to be used now. Um, it's a program meant to bring employees back. Uh, so one option for restaurants that are possibly doing uh, takeout, carryout services might be for them to bring staff back to man that. Um, I know there's an interplay between um, sort of the unemployment uh, compensation debate and then having uh, folks back on staff, uh, particularly if there's not anything to do or if they're tips uh, wages and they're, they're not making tips. So PPP, as you said, may not be the best option for them. However, uh, it is just one tool, uh, albeit a large one in, in, a, a large, in, a, in the toolbox. So 
uh, other programs that might be available for them. Uh, I know it's debt related, but uh, idle uh, with the cash advance that's possible, uh, specifically if they want to use it more for payments towards uh, keeping the lights on, paying the more, uh, paying the rent, uh, things related to that. Um, I would also encourage uh, uh, them to potentially reach out to Congresswoman uh, Holmes Norton. I know uh, there are a lot of uh, other federal resources available that her staff has been working on to compile, and, and that may be an option to check there. Uh, from an existing bank relationship, uh, I think most of the product would be in the form of, of loans, um, either SBA 7A loans, which also carry a guarantee, or PPP, or um, or uh, a new program called the Main Street Lending Program, which is another option that they can pursue. But again, that's more uh, debt-based. Uh, so practically speaking, um, if they want to use PPP, uh, they could bring staff back now. Um, that would count, even though the staff wouldn't necessarily be doing do anything. Uh, when I say bring staff back, I think there's a lot of misinformation about uh, physically having to be back in store, uh, that isn't a requirement at all of part of PPP. So if you are, uh, you have restaurant staff, you can bring them, quote, bring them back on, but you could remain closed and just be paying their salary as opposed to, um, to them uh, taking unemployment compensation. So that might be an option as well. I think there's a misnomer around uh, what being open uh, for purposes of PPP really means. Helpful. Uh, Corey, so you uh, are the chair of the uh, Black Chamber of Commerce, uh, but also a business person yourself. Uh, how do you see folks sort of navigating these different programs and, and what kind of guidance do you think they need from Dan and other folks who are watching this every day? Thanks. Thanks, uh, Deputy Mayor, and thank you, uh, Director Whitfield and uh, my council member, McDuffie. Um, a couple, couple things. One, um, let me start by just framing up the, the Great Washington Black Chamber of Commerce and why we exist. Um, we started about a year ago, really with the idea that we wanted to uh, do several things. One, recognize, uh, honor, and celebrate the black businesses and the legacy that they have had here in the District of Columbia. We have a very proud legacy, as you well know. And um, it, it quickly, we quickly sort of got to sort of the, the mission of our, of our work, which is really about um, focusing on uh, access, uh, connection, uh, focusing on the equity, which I think we've been talking about uh, in roundabout ways here, um, and then obviously focusing on the growth and expansion of, of our businesses here in the district. Um, this COVID crisis has, has really suffered our businesses. Um, you may have recently read a few articles about a few of our businesses um, one, Ben's Chili Bowl. I think the story that was in the paper recently is, is gut-wrenching. Um, and then Kith and Ken, a newer business, mm. um, who is also suffering significantly down at the wharf. So we are, we are really focused on uh, providing technical assistance to our membership in this, in this time, supported by our U.S. Black Chamber. Um, and because we were very proud of the fact that we had a growing business uh, membership, um, we were um, really beginning to, be, to, to shape our agenda around what we could offer to them um, by way of the things that we've discussed. So um, we want to just lift up that many of our businesses are suffering uh, uh, significantly. 
in terms of what we're, the guidance that we're providing to our membership, we're really focusing on um, trying to help them understand these programs. Um, we recognize significantly that there are um, impediments that, are, that have been uh, that are sort of institutional and, and legacy. Uh, for instance, uh, the, on this data point alone, Stanford uh, reports that about 1% of, of black-owned businesses actually start with a loan, um, an institutional loan. And so there is a capital crisis for us throughout the existence of our, of, of our from startup to, to operations. And now, of course, we have uh, this, this real challenge of getting access to the funding. Um, we were happy to see the, the money committed in this, uh, I think they're calling it phase 3.5, um, of this CARES Act to commit some dollars, I think it's about $30 billion or so, to MDIs and CDFIs, which is where many of our businesses will more likely be able to find the assistance that they need to get, to get access to these programs. Um, I will tell you that as a business owner, thank you, John, for, for mentioning that, I'm a proud CBE here in the city, and I myself applied for uh, the PPP loan um, it was rather daunting, and this was with a large institution. Um, and um, while I think they took fairly good care of me, um, or at least attempted to, uh, I feel like I'm in a very long queue. And I feel like the, the sort of personal service that you need in this moment is going to be difficult to get. Um, and of course, like many others, uh, my application went in um, later than the, the dollars were available. So. Um, I first got a note that indicated that the money had, uh, was, uh, was no longer available, and then I got a second note that said I had, had to um, add a deficient application, needed to provide some additional uh, documentation. So there, there are many challenges, right? Many, many small businesses, um, many black businesses and others, quite frankly, um, if you are a small business, you might not, as an owner, pay yourself, right? You make deferred compensation, and so you have to be able to provide documentation to the lender, to, to the bank, to prove that you are, uh, are eligible for the program. So there are many different impediments, and so we're trying to help our members to think through that. Um, we're asking them to prepare their documentation in advance of going to the sites, uh, because many of them will time out and kick you out, and you sort of are in this constant loop. Um, we're asking them to reach out to banking relationships if they have them, um, to get advice around uh, the best approach to, these, to the access to these programs. And then, um, really, just helping them through um, sort of offering some level of counseling around it, right? I mean, because you've got people who are absolutely devastated, and we're hearing from them um, and trying to do our very best to provide support around that. So we will continue to advocate um, to the city government and to the extent we can to the federal government to have a particular focus on the interest around black businesses. Um, we have a unique set of circumstances and require some additional attention, so we'll continue to do that. And, and when you talk to fellow business owners, what's kind of what's kind of a common question about like the PPP program? Is it that that waiting in the queue and having things ready, or uh, what are folks like concerned about when trying to access the program? Yeah, I, I'd say it, it probably is the the notion of having a banking relationship, right? right. I mean, if you just on on its face, you might consider. Well, do you really know your banker? If you if you bank at a large institution, I mean, what is that relation? What's the 
um, the context of a banking relationship, right? I, as growing up, I, I remember watching some of the, the 70s shows about bankers and people would have a relationship with their banker. They'd walk in to an institution and say, hey, John. So I'm not sure that that's the context for a lot of our businesses. And so what we're really trying to help them to do and, and ask and respond to the questions that they have about what really is a banking relationship. Is yeah. it because I do business there, my, I make deposits there? Or do I need to have had a relationship where I'm sitting across with a banker to do a loan uh, at some point? And I was uh, doing some reading, interestingly enough. There's an incredible article in the New York Times uh, on this very subject. Um, and there's a, a woman in Baltimore who was told by her institution um, that she really didn't have a banking relationship with them, um, although she had sort of a uh, a, a debit card or, or a credit card, mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't it doesn't meet the standard for some, and perhaps there isn't a standard, right, uh, of having a banking institute and so yeah. institution and so or relationship, and of course she would have to go to different different places to try to find find what what meets a definition. Yeah, Dan, how how do you advise folks to navigate that because it's kind of hard to set up a relationship in these days where you can't necessarily walk into the bank. Uh, and really, how do you establish a relationship through an 800 number? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, and honestly, one that our industry is struggling to to deal with as well. Uh, you have to remember uh, this program, uh, the timing of how quickly this program was stood up, and how quickly the money expired, uh, and also how little guidance uh, the federal government actually provided financial institutions. Uh, it was an imperfect rollout, uh, to say the least, right? Um, I'll answer the question in a second, but just wanted to also provide some uh, some background and facts around sort of the new phase three and a half, and then also uh, some of the, the loans that were actually made uh, in phase one, uh, just to kind of counteract uh, some of the, the stories being reported in the press about favorable treatment for larger institutions. So um, phase three and a half does have 30 billion, at least 30 billion, that's a floor, not a ceiling, set aside for CDFIs, MDIs, and community banks with under 10 billion in assets. So I would anticipate uh, those being a source of, uh, of uh, that folks should actually rely upon uh, to, to go and, and speak with. Um, I know it's, it's going to have, again, there are people, I think it was Christy that mentioned earlier, but there are people on the other side of those 800 lines, particularly with a smaller community bank. So it may take some time. Uh, they're all at work from home as well, uh, or a lot of them are, um, uh, just because of safety considerations. So uh, uh, having just a little bit of persistence there, I think, is helpful. Um, in terms of uh, some stats from the previous uh, wave of money, uh, 1.66 million loans. So there's 30 million available small businesses uh, out there, eligible small businesses out there. So uh, a fraction of uh, these businesses actually received money. That said, the average loan size was $206,000. 74% of the loans that were made were under $150,000. Uh, one of the facts that I really like to point out is 60% of the loans that were approved came from uh, these sub $10 billion banks. So your, your MDIs, your community banks, your CDFIs, uh, they made 60% of those loans uh, of the entire $350 billion pot. So I'm hopeful um, that uh, they will continue to make these loans uh, and move forward. 
Uh, I think the, also another thing to keep in mind uh, related to sort of that inability to get in to speak with someone is that uh, our membership uh, also basically was uh, administering the program at the same time that uh, uh, borrowers were trying to apply. What I mean is that uh, the, the government basically just said, okay, we signed a bill into law on, on Friday the 27th. Seven days later, we were live. Uh, we were building the airplane while it was in the middle of the air. Um, so I think for this time around, it should be a lot smoother. For one, you have more lenders that are in the system. And two, you have uh, lenders that are were, that were successful in the last round, uh, like uh, to point a look to a local bank, Capital Bank has a really good story um, that was in Bloomberg the other day. Um, they have more experience. They know what to expect moving forward. So uh, they may be able to take on additional non-customers. They may be more outward focused and outward facing and, and trying to help those businesses and, and establish new relationships there. So uh, to bring it back, uh, what I would advise those people that are stuck calling a 800 number and feel really frustrated is that our members understand uh, we're, we're a part of the community as well. We're here for the borrowers. It's just it's the sheer volume of the program, and we're all we're all in it together. We're all pushing to to get the loans out as quickly as we can, and to to businesses that need them. Corey, so you shared your experience uh, navigating PPP. So you heard back from your bank that uh, the the funding had run out. Then you heard back that the application needed more information. Now, did they allow you to submit the more information for when it the program opened back up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. I think their guidance was uh, we find your application to be deficient uh, because you haven't paid yourself this year um, and and we can't, we, we need to show payroll taxes. You need documentation to show payroll taxes, which was a little bit, um, uh, uh, seemed to be in conflict with, with the guidance that, that SBA or the, um, the bill provides such that you are able to show some other level of documentation about, about your, your earnings. Um, and so uh, what they encouraged, the bank encouraged that we, that, that we resubmit. Uh, we, either, we either provide the documentation that, that, that they've requested or resubmit your application um, under, under some other conditions. So, um, I, you know, it was much, mostly a form uh, letter. Um, but um, they encouraged encouraged us to continue to uh, seek seek out the PPP through through this through this application process. Right. And so, uh, go ahead, Dan. John, am I able to jump in there? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, and Corey, I really appreciate you sharing your story and uh, understand the, the frustration with uh, the additional required documentation that that your financial institution asked for. Uh, just to comment on that, um, the program started very broad. Uh, it didn't have a lot of the technical uh, information. Uh, SBA, Treasury did not put out a lot of technical information up front. So I think what you're seeing as the program moves along, as they are adding additional requirements in, those are then applied uh, to the program moving forward. So it might be a situation there where the, the bank is having uh, difficulty interpreting the guidance or uh, the guidance has changed and SBA and Treasury have released sort of new standards. So I totally understand the frustration. Just just wanted to provide maybe a little context of um, where the, the bank is in, in interpreting, trying to interpret this government-run program. Yeah, th thanks, Dan. And I, and I 
I, I agree with you. I've, I've heard from many folks uh, who are, are getting uh, different guidance from, from their specific banks. So uh, that's consistent uh, with, with what you've offered. Dan, this is Christy. Um, we were given the guidance that, you know, people who had been in the queue should sort of sit tight and that the next tranche of funding would sort of be addressed to the people that were already in the queue. And is that the, is that the same information that you're hearing? And then I guess the, it's kind of a two-part question because then my question is, you know, at DSLBD, we are still talking to people. We know the need continues. And, you know, what hope then is there for the, the leagues of people that continue to need additional resources? We know there are tons, you know, scores of people already in line then. And, and what hope there is there for someone that hasn't even put an application in yet? Yeah, so um, great questions. Um, I would say for those, there's, there's a couple technical things. If you are in the queue or if you have received information from your bank that your application was processed and it has an SBA number, but you haven't gotten your money yet, which I know a lot of uh, individuals and, and businesses have not because of the, the processing, uh, you are part of that first tranche. So if you already got approved, you already got an SBA number, you're part of the first tranche. If you didn't make that, that cut and you're in a queue at a bank, um, that is uh, when this program goes live again, and we're not sure, this is again Friday, April 24th, uh, it'll be sometime in, in soon after the president signs the bill into law. Um, if you're in a bank queue, they will need to then go in and, and physically upload your information application into the e-trans system. Uh, related to the larger question of what happens because you know the money's gonna run out quickly again, um, I would talk to your banker, talk to your lender, talk to a new relationship as soon as you can. Um, I know that's not the best option, uh, but it's, it's the, the one that we have. Um, if the funds do run out or when they run out, I think there's going to be a, enormous pressure on Congress to uh, replenish the fund again. So uh, the issue there though is I don't know when that will happen. So I'm not able to paint a, a rosy picture per se, but just know that if you already have an application mm -hmm. into the bank, those banks are gonna fight to put those applications into the system. Uh, it's an imperfect system as it's first come first serve. Um, so it's, it's really just get into, get into the queue as soon as you can um, and just have, we have to kind of hope that Congress comes back with additional funds because this money will run out. But I guess then the queue is the SBA queue yes. and then making sure that you are getting clear information from your bank that your application has been submitted to the actual SBA. So being in a, in a yes. queue at your bank doesn't really mean anything if it hasn't been submitted to the SBA. Yeah, that's correct. That's like Until you hear from your... Sorry, go ahead. It's like a pre-holding chamber at your bank until they submit it to the actual SBA. Doesn't mean anything until yeah, you're and at the SBA. The, yes, and, and the reason why the banks are having to hold the applications right now and aren't no physically way. able to enter them into SBA system is because of... Uh, uh, regulation. Uh, it's the Anti-Deficiency Act. SBA is legally not allowed to take 
and queue loans in their system. So those applications are being held by banks. And just anecdotally, uh, so the bill was signed into law Thursday, or excuse me, the bill was passed Thursday evening by Congress. It's going to be signed into law Friday the 24th. Uh, I had talked to bankers all night, overnight, asking when is eTran going to be back online? When is SBA system going to be back online? So our members are trying to be ready. They are going to be ready to upload these applications into the system as soon as it goes back on. So just know that we're anxiously awaiting as well because uh, we want to serve our customers. Dan, uh, this is this is Councilmember McDuffie, and, and, and Director Whitfield raises a, a great point about what being in the queue actually means. And, and listening to uh, Corey's story and his experience uh, with the PPP program uh, leads me to wonder, uh, you know, because you've got so many small businesses out there uh, who, who want to be able to avail themselves of this program. It's a great program. On the other hand, it requires a lot of information. Right? And so if, if you're a small mm -hmm. business and, and you don't have, you know, an accountant uh, and, and you don't, you know, have the resources necessarily to be able to pull together the information as quickly as, as, as some larger uh, businesses, then by the time you get to your bank, uh, it's important for you to understand that just being at your bank and applying there doesn't mean that you're necessarily in the SBA queue. So in your understanding of, of, of the program, the PPP program, is there any portion of the 30 billion or so that that's being allocated uh, at a minimum for the community-based lenders can any of that be used for technical assistance specifically to perhaps uh, you know get some of these smaller businesses these less resource businesses um, to the point where their application is going submitted to the SBA and it's in the queue or is all that money strictly for for, for processing loans is there any flexibility so, around that? Yeah, sorry. Um, the so all of the money in the three hundred twenty billion that is for the, the grant for the loans themselves. That said, uh, the CARES Act does have additional. The CARES Act was the bill that passed about a month ago. Now, it had additional money in there for SBDCs uh, as well as for the Office of Advocacy of SBA. So, in terms of technical assistance. I would maybe look to those two options uh, as places where you can go to potentially get some uh, information and uh, help on how to compile these, these relevant forms. Um, we are, are working within the rules that, that Congress has given us and the guidance that SBA has, has provided. So uh, we're kind of limited uh, to what resources they've made available for us and then certainly what uh, your financial institution can, can kind of help you walk you through. Um, and even even the, the smaller community banks, I know an issue there is related to, to just sheer volume and, and the ability to process. So uh, SBDC, SBA Office of Advocacy might have some resources available. Uh, certainly, uh, I would also point to uh, some of the other uh, trade associations uh, out in the world. Um, there are uh, the U.S. Chamber has a really good uh information uh, center on their website uh, that has a bunch of documents about that will walk you through step by step on what you need uh, as a borrower to apply and what documentation you need to provide. And then there is the um, CPA's trade association as well, AICPA, which also on their website has guidance there related to uh, documentations that uh, the borrower needs. So there are 
publicly available resources and then the, in terms of like having somebody help you maybe actually walk you through step by step uh, if you don't have if you don't have to do it on your own uh, I would point to Office of Advocacy and uh, SBDC. Yeah, I've got Corey, please. Deputy Mayor, just to, to since the council member touched on, a, on on the subject of capacity, um, interestingly enough, to add a little color to my story, I got a, uh, an email yesterday from my accountant. Um, she's lost her job um, at an accounting firm. So um, consider that, if you will, if people are also not available, uh, resources are not available around accounting services. She was happy to offer to me uh, two weeks ago, just let me know what you need. So, so I was able to get uh, all of the, the documentation I needed from her in advance of, of, of her uh, being laid off. But uh, I mean, that's a real challenge. And, and it, it, is, it is these kinds of, of things that really make it uh, that much more difficult for a, a lot of small businesses, which 100% um, of our membership happens to be small right. businesses. Well, definitely, and that's, that's very trying. Uh, you know, challenge that folks will have as they try to reach out to the folks that they do have that relationship right. with. They're challenged as well at this point too. Uh, there are uh, a couple of SBA technical assistance centers uh, in DC. Mm -hmm. So I wanna make sure that folks yeah. uh, know about that resource. Uh, there's right. also the Main Streets uh, that uh, Christie right. Shop funds and, yes. and helps uh, keep going. And then of course, Christy, you wanna give out your phone number again for- right. so 727-3900, uh, option seven. You know, and then we also are partnering with SBA and the, you know, when the, when the social distancing ends, uh, we also host one of the SBDC uh, counselors in our, in our office, but we have a partnership with them. They're also at, at various places around the city, you know, um, Howard University and the, um, mm -hmm. like, different places around the city. So there are places to help. So if you're in a Main Street, um, you know, call your Main Street director and they can, they can also try and walk you through. There's a lot of social distancing that can help do it. But the, you know, the, the stark reality is that, you know, this is a, you know, this is like tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. This is a timing game, right? Yep. Because by the time, you know, you get that help, somebody that has that help you know, has gotten it. And so then, you know, and this is why, this is why equity, this is why the mayor has folded equity into the conversation around the dirt. Because, you know, access and equity, you know, get, get vetted out in so many different ways. And while the smallest among us, you know, is striving to stay alive, those that have sort of natural institutional access sort of see the will bending towards their future other people that are struggling just sort of see doors right. closing again and again. And this is why we have to keep having these conversations because it just seems like, you know, we have to keep shining a light on these problems. Absolutely. And with that, uh, timing is an issue even for us <laughs> gathered here. Uh, Dan, any final comments? And then Council Member, I'll go to you as well. Yeah, no, I just wanted to thank uh, Deputy Mayor and the Councilman and uh, Corey and Christy and, and everybody on the panel for the opportunity to speak with you today uh, to provide this resource moving forward. Um, I know we've talked a lot about how the uh, even the second round of funding is likely going to run out uh, moving forward. But what I wanted to reemphasize is that uh, PPP is just one tool uh, in, in the toolbox and banks have been helping customers before uh, the social distancing started and before businesses were closing and will continue to do so after. So 
please know that despite some of the frustrations, problems related with this program, uh, that you do have an ally in the financial community, and we will continue to work uh, to help uh, get small businesses back on their feet and then uh, become successful moving forward. So uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk with everybody today. Yeah, no, I want to thank Dan for, for that uh, presentation. I thought it was extremely helpful, uh, Deputy Mayor Falchicchio, for you all uh, for coordinating this. Um, I, I'll just say, that, you know, as we try to continue to navigate our way uh, through this pandemic and toward recovery, uh, we want to use the, the resources we have locally, uh, the limited resources that we have locally, to help as many small businesses as possible. Uh, you, you truly are the backbone of our local economy. Uh, we know you're struggling right now, uh, and, and we want to help you uh, see your way through this. Uh, but we also want you to know uh, about the federal programs that exist and the resources that are there uh, to assist as well. And so, uh, you know, e even though we're in a pandemic uh, currently, the, the government is still open. Uh, there are agencies that are still out here uh, to help. And, and as Director Whitfield mentioned, uh, there's still uh, resources at the Department of Small Local Business Development. So. Uh, please uh, continue to, to think through uh, and reach out uh, for assistance. Uh, we're here to help, and, and we're going to get through this together. Definitely. Thank you, Councilmember, and thank you, Christy, Corey, and Dan, for uh, being a part of this today. Uh, you know, Mayor Bowser set up the District Economic Recovery Team in order to get out information about the resources that are available. So I want to make sure that everybody goes to the coronavirus.dc.gov website uh, and look for the recovery page. On that page, uh, we'll post uh, Dan's presentation along with the links uh, that are in it, uh, as well as some other helpful information. I do want to uh, say that uh, as trying the time as this is, uh, no entrepreneur started their business because they thought it was the easiest way to get a paycheck. Uh, they did it because they knew they could deliver a good or a service uh, in a better way. Uh, and so use that spirit uh, to get us through this together. Uh, and we know that there are a couple uh, important things that we want everybody to do. Uh, one, stay healthy. Uh, that's so important as we try to get through this pandemic. Uh, two, have hope uh, because we're going to get through this together. And then third, uh, make yourself uh, and, uh, uh, educated and learn about uh, the programs and the resources that are available, uh, like PPP uh, and other programs uh, that will uh, list on the coronavirus.dc.gov. Uh, page. So on behalf of the team uh, in Demphead and Mayor Bowser, thank you for watching and thanks for listening today.